turn to John uh, chapter 9. If those of you remember the last time I spoke, we saw that the, Jesus healed a man that was blind from birth. After Jesus, the light of the world, miraculously heals a man who was born blind. We saw that in, in the first uh, seven verses. Uh, 1 to 7. Verses 8 through 34 reveals that instead of faith in the Son of God, there was confusion and unbelief amongst his neighbors and the Pharisees. However, I personally see an amazing thing happening here. I see a healed blind man, instead of giving in to the opposition of the Jewish leaders especially, I see him growing stronger and stronger in faith in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. The persecution had a, actually had a positive effect on this man. Let his unwillingness to back down be an encouragement to us all. Let's read John 9, verses 8 through 34. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud under my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but, now, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Let's pray. And Father, strengthen us as we hear the testimony of a blind beggar whom you healed and would not cave in to the opposition of, of the unbelieving world. God, we are truly weak, Lord, but you are strong in us to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Pilgrim, the Pilgrim Progress. How many of you have read that book by John Bunyan? It's one of the greatest masterpieces in English literature. And it's an allegory of a Christian journey which is represented by a character called Christian. The journey starts from the city of destruction, which represents the world, all the way to the city, um, the celestial city, which represents heaven. Basically, the book is about a spiritual journey. And on that journey, there is temptation and opposition from the time Christian, the main character, leaves the city of destruction to the time he gets to the celestial city. And this really represents the Christian life. From the time we are healed from our spiritual blindness, leave this present world behind with all its sin, with all its wickedness, with all its ideologies, to the time we get to heaven, we will be bombarded with opposition, which comes in many forms. And in our gospel tonight, we see a man who was healed of blindness. And in reality, whether he understood it or not, he began a spiritual journey and is met with opposition, he's met with resistance, he's met with, with confusion, and he's met with interrogation. Amen. And instead of weakening, this is what I love this story, why I love this story, instead of weakening, weakening we see a marvelous thing happening. We see a physically healed man, not weakening in faith, but getting stronger until his ultimate healing, the opening of his spiritual eyes by the heel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And here's what I want to ask you tonight, and I want to challenge you tonight too. When Christ heals our spiritual blindness, there's going to be opposition. There's no doubt about it because of the unbelieving world. But we must stand firm in our testimony. We must not cave in. And there are three points we're going to look at in this section we just read that we all can relate to in our everyday lives when sharing what Christ did for us with, the lives, with our lives with people. The confusion, the bare facts, the interrogation. Just give me one second. Let's look at the confusion first. <clears throat> Don't let the unbelieving world confuse you about Christ. I've seen that happen. It's, it almost happened to me many times. And I've seen it happen to Christians. Christians become confused about Christ because of the unbelieving world. You, rem you might remember in chapter 8 of John's gospel, Jesus claims to be what? The light of the world. Then in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, Jesus not only says he's the light of the world, he demonstrates that he's the light of the world by giving physical sight to a man who was born blind from birth. And instead of most of the people believing that the miracle had just taken place, there was confusion. Let's read about that confusion, verses 8 and 9 again. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? 
Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. I think we need to understand something here. The opening of the eyes of a blind man was not your normal, everyday occurrence, especially back then in antiquity. Here is a blind man who begged most of his life in the temple area. That's what blind people did. They had no means of, 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 of employment, so they would beg. And now he's walking around seeing. That would astound anybody. I know it would astound me even to this day. Today, because of modern medicine and technology, it may not be as astounding, but it's still remarkable. And whether it's modern medicine or God directly opening the eyes, it's still an amazing thing and all the glory goes to God. However, when Jesus healed this man, it was, the people were like saying, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? How is he seeing? They were so used to seeing him begging due to his blindness, and now they see him walking around. I think that would astound anybody. And so it caused confusion among the blind man's neighbors and the ones who actually saw him begging and said, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And the, the answers were different. Some plainly said, he is the man. They knew it was him who, used to, who was blind and begged. Others, not as convinced, said, oh no, he just looks like him. Some of them believed that it was a mis- mis- mistaken identity rather than a miracle of God. Listen, when God does something, something in a person's life, the unbelieving world will say anything to take away from the reality of the work of God because it's hard to accept. Instead of immediately giving glory to God, people have to try to rationalize miraculous, the miraculous change that happened. Ignorant opinions, that's all it is. Whether God did something astounding in the Old Testament, or when Jesus walked the earth, or today, there's always man's flimsies, flimsy opinions, right? But the blind man in our story tonight settles the matter. He kept saying in the midst of their confusion, I am the man. He kept saying that. That's what the, the word means continuously. He kept saying, I am the man. He certainly wasn't confused. And his first step of faith was he knew, he confessed, and accepted that he was the man that was healed of his blindness. Once again, no confusion on his part. And his faith, as small as it was, began to grow. And at this point, of course, he did not believe or confess Christ simply because he did not yet understand the gospel, but he was on his way. Some time ago, <clears throat> I worked with a gentleman on my job who was kind of quiet. Matter of fact, he was very quiet. You didn't hear too much about him. Nice looking man, he was well built, just quiet. Gentleman. And I would be sharing the gospel with someone if he was around. Unbeknown to me, he'd be listening. And sometimes people would mock They'd ridicule and cause confusion to others standing by as they were listening. But I would not let that throw me off and I'd just stay on track and continue speaking the gospel. But in the midst of all that, this gentleman would be listening. There was also another co-worker who worked part-time with me. He was a pastor. Well, one day, a few years later, this pastor came over to me and told me that one of his, at one of his church services... This quiet gentleman was at his church, got up, and testified how the Lord had saved him. And he said this, 
And I don't say this for me, just to go to show you, you don't know who's listening. He said, now I understand what John Verdi has been talking about all this time. Praise God. I had no idea, I, I really, I had no idea this man was listening. So I think in the midst of questioning and confusion, the seeds of faith in the blind man's life began to grow until he finally trusted Christ, which we'll see the next time I speak. Praise God. Don't let the unbelieving world confuse you about Christ. The healed, the blind, heal, uh, the, the healed blind man didn't. Recently at work, a group of us were discussing Christianity. This is just a, maybe about a month ago. And within this group, there were a lot of flying opinions. Opinions flying around. Muslim opinions. Evolutionist opinions. Churches only focus on money opinions. Christ... <laughs> Christ's body will be found one day opinions. There, was, there are so many versions of the Bible opinions and a lot of confusion. But I trust if anyone was there that God was drawing to himself, a seed was planted. And in eternity, we may be surprised who was listening to us as we gave our testimony and shared the gospel in the midst of confusion and opposition. Don't let that throw you. Amen. As Christians... We need to know who we are in Christ and not allow the unbelieving world to confuse us even if we can't answer every question that is thrown at us. Amen. We need to be like the blind man who said, I am the man. We need to emphatically say, I've been changed. Amen. That's right. The blind man's neighbors now want to know what happened, how his eyes were opened. Verses 10 through 12. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. When pressed on how his eyes were open, the blind man just gave, gave the bare facts, which is our second point. When the unbelieving world questions your faith in Christ, start off by giving the bare facts, your testimony. Amen. The, neighbors asked, they asked, the neighbors asked him a simple question and he gave a simple answer. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Period. End of story. He didn't go into, he didn't get into all the details of how he was blind from birth and it forced him to be a beggar and how rough it was growing up and, and he thought he would never see. And then this, this man called Jesus came by and I didn't know who he was and was wondering why he was concerned about me and he could have went on and on and on. No, he just gave the bare facts. Years ago, when I taught Bible study, many years ago, at times I could be too complex I would try to teach everything I've read and learned, and sometimes it became too much information for people. Most people cannot absorb a lot of information. And even my testimony at times would be too much information. That's the way my mind works. I want to tell everything from A to Z. Over the years, I've learned to give less information. I'm learning at times less is better, especially when it comes to our testimony and proclaiming the gospel. People can absorb more with less. Anyway, 
When this man gave the bare facts of his healing and who healed him, the crowd wanted to know where Jesus was. They wanted to meet the one who did this incredible miracle. However, the man never saw Jesus because Jesus said, go to Siloam and wash. And when he came back seeing, Jesus was not there. This story of Jesus healing this blind man perfectly and beautifully portrays the salvation process. We are lost, blinded by sin. We have no capacity to recognize the Savior or to find Him on our own. And just as Jesus sought out, healed, and and revealed Himself to the blind beggar, God seeks us who are spiritually lost, blind sinners. Otherwise, not one person would be saved. The next thing the people did is to bring the formerly blind man to the Pharisees. They looked to the established theological leaders in the local synagogue for an answer concerning this amazing miracle. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was still attending the Catholic church, but also attending an evangelical church for two years. I went to a Catholic church in the morning, an evangelical church at night. And I remember my father was not happy with my faith attending all my attending at Catholic Church. He was very angry. Um, so when he had the opportunity, he questioned the priests about my newfound faith in Christ and attending a non-Catholic church. People feel comfortable with their religious leaders to validate whether another person's faith is genuine or not. Instead of going to the main source, the Word of God. And the same thing happened here. The blind man's neighbors wanted an explanation about his healing. And when the Pharisees saw the man and heard what happened to him, instead of praising God that this poor, blind, wretched man was now healed, they began to interrogate, which is the third point, the interrogation. We are going to see that the more they interrogated, the more they questioned him, the stronger his faith got. When the unbelieving world interrogates your faith in Christ, let it strengthen your faith in Christ, not weaken it. Let's read verses 13 through 17. Any of you struggling with allergies like I am? (laughs) They, They brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. Now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received the sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. This ludicrous interrogation by the Pharisees was in three parts. First with the blind beggar then with his parents, and finally with the blind beggar again. Let's look at the first, at the Pharisees' interrogation or investigation of the blind man. It starts off with the same question the neighbors asked him, how he had received his sight. And he gave the same answer, the bare facts. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. You know, I love this blind man. I want to meet him in heaven. As you, we will, that's right. As we go through this story, if you have a chance, you go home and read chapter 9 and watch the progression of how he didn't back down and how he began to get sarcastic with them, which we'll talk about. Now to complicate things, how did Jesus heal him? What day was it? Sabbath. 
He healed him on the Sabbath. And we know two things according to the Jewish leaders. Gross misinterpretation of the law plus their own oral, oral law. Healing number one was forbidden on the Sabbath except for cases where a man's life or a woman's life was in danger. And also making, the second thing was making or kneading clay. Really it was dough, but they used it for clay also. Also violated the Sabbath law. And Jesus was guilty of both. The creator, Jesus the creator, was now pronounced guilty by, the, by his own creation. It seemed like Jesus, and he did, I believe, deliberately provoked the Jewish leaders by violating the Sabbath on numerous occasions. And I think the reasons are because, number one, Jesus was showing them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and that their extra-biblical rules were oppressive and put unnecessary burdens on people. (coughs) Worshiping God, giving thanks, rest, showing mercy, doing good is what the Sabbath was all about. On March 21st of this year, one of the most tragic fires in years took place in Brooklyn, home in a Brooklyn home claiming the lives of seven children. That's just recent. I know most of you remember that. A family wanting to observe Sabbath regulations, according to the Jewish tradition, used an electric hot plate to keep their food warm for the next day, which have, may have malfunctioned and sparked into a fire. And of course, Orthodox customs prohibit turning electrical appliances on or off or lighting flames during the Sabbath. The fire spread quickly, Throughout the house, killing seven children. That was, I mean, tragic. The mother and one of the other children escaped, um, but were in critical condition. The father at time was on a spiritual retreat in Manhattan. And I don't want to criticize the family for using a hot plate unattended because of Sabbath regulations. Only God knows the pain and the guilt um, they, they must be experienced because of this great loss. And our hearts and our prayers really should go out to them. They were only following their religion. However, what I do want to criticize is a religious system which fails to see that the safety of a family outweighs their their tradition and misunderstanding of the Sabbath regulations. When religious systems get caught up with following rules and regulations and forget people, they forget mercy, they forget compassion, and in this case the safety of a family, they forfeit the true obedience and love for God. And Jesus made that perfectly clear in Matthew 12, verses 10 through 14, where he made, where he healed a man's hand and receives criticism. It starts in verse 10. Let's turn to that. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. You see, the Pharisees were more concerned with their rules and traditions than the needs of people. They forgot that God is a God of people, not rules. Jesus reminded them that it's always lawful to do good. 
Hypocritical religion has always been concerned with the letter of the law rather than love for God and the needs of people. And Jesus came to set us free from that mentality caused by spiritual blindness. Anyway, after the man's testimony on his healing, there was a division among the Pharisees. Some said he is not of God, holding to their faulty interpretation of the Sabbath regulations, while others said, can a sinner do such signs? The Pharisees, although they were divided in their opinion, seemed to be united in their interrogation. So they turned to the blind man and asked him for his opinion about Jesus. What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Notice that the blind man didn't say he's the son of God. He did not come to that full realization yet. However, like the woman at the well, he was convinced Jesus was a prophet. He at least had that much sense. He had more spiritual sense than the spiritually blind Pharisees. And I say spiritual sense because the Jews were only looking for a way to discredit Christ for healing him because they were envious of Christ and did not recognize his Messiahship. But the blind man's heart began to change and so was his testimony. He was more and more becoming spiritually sensitive and began to recognize Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He did not care that it was the Sabbath. He knew someone special touched his life. Listen to what the doctor, Dr. D.A. Carson says. <clears throat> the nicety of the Sabbath regulations do not concern him, meaning the blind man. He knows that a work of God was done in his life, and therefore the human agent must be an extraordinary individual, a prophet, someone sent with God's word. This man's eyes are opening wider. He's beginning to see more clearly while the eyes of his judges are becoming clouded over with blinding, blinding theological mist. Salvation wasn't his yet. wasn't his yet because he didn't yet hear the gospel but was certainly on his way. Now I realize that we have a tendency to think of, of, this, of it this way. Of course... He was on his way to salvation. He was healed from being blind his whole life. Anyone who had a miracle like that is going to come to Christ when they hear the gospel. No. No, not necessarily. Remember the ten lepers who were healed in the 17th chapter of Luke's gospel and only one came back to give thanks? And Jesus told him, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Strongly suggesting that not only was the leper healed physically, but he was healed spiritually as well. God can use the healing of blind eyes or terminal sickness to draw someone to salvation. And I can't tell you how many times I have had the privilege of lead, to lead someone to Christ on their deathbed. Unbelief, on the other hand, will keep a person bound with chains of sin and death. And despite the evidence of the man's healing <clears throat> and his testimony, the Jews did not believe that he was born blind. So what do they do? Let's call his parents. doesn't matter that he was, his eyes were open, he could see, he's walking around. Let's call his parents. We don't believe it. Verses 18 through 23. <clears throat> you get to see the picture more and more. That unbelief, no matter what you do, the truth can be standing right in front of unbelief. They can't see it. 
The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind or been, been blind and had received the sight until they called his parents of the man who had received the sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The bottom line is this. The answer to the first question would not get the parents in trouble. Is this your son who was born blind? And they said, we know this is our son, and he was born blind. It was the third question that they really did not want to answer. Who opened his eyes? They answered cautiously and suggested that the Pharisees ask the son for themselves. Why? Because they feared the consequences. The consequence back then was very, very serious for a Jew in Israel. This this. This just didn't mean that you couldn't go into the synagogue anymore. No, it meant being cut off from the religious life, but also from the social life of Israel as well. The blind man's parents were not willing to testify on their son's behalf of what Jesus did for him. Nice parents, huh? The fear and the praise of men were greater than the fear and the praise of God. Imagine having a son, blind from birth, and now healed by the power of God. As Dr. Sproul said, you'd want to crawl over glass to thank the one who made it possible. But not these parents. They acted like they didn't know anything concerning about the healing and told the Pharisees to ask the son because he was old enough. We could all be like these parents, every one of us. When the heat is on and when the religious people are pressuring us after we have been blessed abundantly and we're quick to act like we don't know him. And Peter did that, didn't he? Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. A few hours later, Peter, what was Peter doing? He was denying Jesus. Now, please don't say I'll never do that. I don't care if you're a Christian a thousand years. Don't say you'll never do that. Rather pray... God, please strengthen me never to do that. It's admirable that we don't want to do that, that we don't want to act like we don't know him. But remember, the flesh is weak. So the Pharisees, frustrated by the fact that they got nowhere with the parents, they turned to the blind man again to interrogate him. This is where it starts getting fun. Verses 24 through 33. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered 
them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And I I feel like it's it's totally amazing that this man, with no theological training at all, could put his interrogators to shame. They were the very ones who were supposed to be the experts in the law and in theology. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, the Apostle Paul says, But God chose, listen, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. No one will ever boast in the presence of God. The Jews wanted the blind man to join him in their folly. Give glory to God, they said. By the way, which is a good thing. Give glory to God. There's nothing wrong with giving glory to God. But not when you're calling Jesus a sinner. That's not giving glory to God. The blind man was not intimidated at all by the Jews. And that's another thing I love about it. It's something we could all learn. This man, no theological training, didn't even come into a full realization of Christ yet, did not back down one for one second. They may have called Jesus a sinner. However, he was not going to get into what he did not know. But tenaciously held on to the truth of what he did know. Listen, you want to think Jesus was a sinner? You go ahead. I don't know about that. This I do know. I was blind and now I see. And I love the fact that a person who is newly born again doesn't have any of the pressures of knowing a lot of theology and doctrine. Now, 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 before I'm misunderstood... I'm not saying we don't need to know theology and learn sound doctrine. This is essential in the growth of a Christian. That's what we believe in this church. Without it, we would not grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if a professing Christian is not willing to learn the word of God, I would seriously question and challenge his faith or her faith. However, new believers can testify simply to what God has done in their lives. And even older Christians. We don't have to get so complex when we're sharing the gospel or our testimony with unbelievers. They can, new, new believers or old believers can proclaim the simple, uncomplicated truth as this ex-blind man has done. And the Pharisees saw they were getting nowhere with, with their ludicrous argument. So they asked the same stupid question. And I say stupid because they got their answer already. But they were not satisfied with the truth. And understandably so, the man now shows a a remarkable gift of sarcasm. Listen to what, how the living, you got to listen to this. How the living Bible paraphrases verse 27. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, 
Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I say LOL to that. He probably saw right through their duplicity. You see, all the Pharisees Pharisees were trying to do, they were trying to do one thing, discredit Christ. Sometimes when you're sharing the gospel, we all know that, we're sharing the gospel with people, and they try to discredit our testimony. They try to discredit the Bible. They try to discredit Christ. And they were trying to manipulate the man into confessing lies about Jesus, but they couldn't. And sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel or testifying to what God has done in my life, with intellectuals, especially intellectuals that have read the Bible and know something, but they don't know the God of the Bible, and they will throw question after question after me. That's like a machine gun. They don't really care about what you have to say. They just care about discrediting your testimony. They care about discrediting the gospel or Christ. So they throw question at question at me. And, some, and they try to trip me up. And sometimes, guess what? They do. But I've learned, and I'm still learning, to keep the message on track. None of us have all the answers. But we do have the true gospel to proclaim and an individual testimony of what God has done in our lives. Anyway, that stinging rebuke to the Pharisees by the man who was healed infuriated them. How dare you correct us? Don't you know who we are? You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this man is from. The blind man still not caving in. His testimony, wit, sarcasm, and now his boldness to teach them proper theology are amazing. The blind man's argument is this. This is his argument. God does not hear sinners. And so Jesus must be from God because he opened my eyes. Which is unheard of since the world began. Bravo. Bravo. Now if the Pharisees truly had spiritual ears, you know what they would have said when he said that? Amen. But instead, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. They insulted him and threw him out of the temple. They excommunicated him. The very, they excommunicated him. The very thing his parents avoided. Why? Because he beat the Pharisees at their own game. And I find this interesting and said at the same time that they insulted the man by saying, you were born in other sin. What were they basically saying? I like what Carson says. He says, you were steeped in sin at birth is a cruel reference to the man's congenital blindness. Not a theological statement about the universality of original sin. So the man was born blind after all. So Jesus must have opened his eyes, but the irony of their rage quite escapes them. So great is their own blindness. In other words, what Dr. Carson was saying was, based on that statement, you were steeped in sin at birth, they were admitting, they didn't admit it before, but now they had to admit it, that this man was born blind. 
And if he was born blind, they would have to admit that Jesus did indeed open his eyes. When they said to the blind man, you were born in sin, they meant because of his blindness. They believed that he was born blind because of his sin. One point they were saying, oh, we don't know if he was born blind. Trying to discredit the healing. And now they're saying, you were born in sin. That's why you're born blind. Oh, now you're admitting it? When it's convenient for you? But their envious rage against Jesus didn't allow them to see their own hypocrisy. And that's what anger does. That's what hardness of heart does. It blinds you to your own hypocrisy. And that can happen to all of us, even as Christians. When the world of skeptics interrogate and investigate your testimony of faith in Christ, unless the Spirit of God opens their spiritual eyes, they will mock and reject the truth. And let me conclude with some thought-provoking questions. If you consider yourself a Christian who has faith in Christ, a worshiper of Christ, do you find your faith getting stronger and your worship deepening in the midst of opposition? Or is it weakening? Does your faith begin to fail or get stronger when family members become fearful and unbelieving? Do you confess Him openly and defend him with your simple testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me encourage you with this. If you're a genuine Christian, remember this. God sought you out like he did this rejected blind man, this beggar, this nobody. He'll give you supernatural strength in the midst of opposition to stand firm in your testimony or sharing the gospel. He has a purpose for everything that happens to you, just like the man who he, Jesus healed physically and then spiritually. And in all that happened to this blind man, Christ was exalted. So let Christ be exalted in whatever God allows to come our way, whether good or bad. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. And Father, we thank you that this poor blind beggar, this nobody, this rejected man, you healed him. And he saw something. And, and you put faith in his heart. And his faith began to, began to grow. And he didn't weaken in God. In the midst of opposition. In the midst of rejection. In the midst of interrogation. He didn't weaken God. His faith got stronger and stronger. And as we'll see God in the next time. That he came to faith in Christ. And his, his life was changed forever. And one day we'll see this blind man worshiping you with the saints from the Old Testament, the New Testament. We'll see him worshiping with all of us together, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.